0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince dot com slash upgrade for free shipping and three hundred and sixty five day returns on your next order. That's quince dot com slash upgrade.
2: Well, hello again. Hello, Ned. Hello, Ned. It's been a very long time since we've met in person. Not since Oxford, those heady days of Oxford. That was, uh, that was really lovely, wasn't it? I had a really nice day out and we're in a slightly less glamorous but equally interesting oh, place. This is close. So. This is my manor. We're yeah. quite close to my part of London now. This is Borough.
3: We're in a, a beautiful petrol station forecourt that's been transformed for the day by Brompton, complete with a lovely painting on the ground. There's some palm trees. There's some massive trees in planters. And there's loads of people hanging around. There's loads of Brompton bikes that you can hire. And yeah, or borrow. just
2: ride off yeah. with, because I just did that. I jumped on an electric one. You've got... We up to St. Giles Circus or whatever that's called up there. No, that's not St. Giles Circus. St. George that's, Circus? St. George Circus, I think it might be. Yeah, you're right. I just say you've got... just claimed it was my manor. I then just completely misnamed <laughs> it. Sorry, Adam. You've got a very trusting face so that's why <laughs> <laughs> yeah as laura says we're right in the heart of borough very close to borough market the um astonishingly expensive chorizo and olive emporium that is borough Market, <laughs> right opposite the inner london crown court where i served for two weeks as a juror a few Ooh. years ago and what a fascinating process that was and it is world bike free day and no. i have it's what No, not (laughs) not bike free, that's completely (laughs) wrong. It's world car free the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) It's world car free day. It's world car free day, and as I just established riding up from Lewisham to get here is a twenty minute ride. I have never seen London so Congested or busy with cars, I'm not convinced that the brethren behind the wheels have quite got the message that no. today is a day to leave your car at home. It's Would not you been agree? Observed?
3: It's not been observed. Not yeah. diligently. No. No. Yeah. It's. Quite, yeah. I feel like the air is particularly smelly today. In fact, actually.
2: <laughs> well, none of this is our fault, I don't think. But I mean, explain the history of world's Car Free Day, Adam.
4: Oh well, thank you. I don't know. Um, you don't know. I've just sprung that on you. World Car Free Day is an annual thing. It's obviously one of those days that we have days for everything now, don't we? But World Car Free Day, I think, is quite interesting because it's sort of based on the back of these kind of car-free days that you have in cities where actually a lot of people go, oh, quite like this. I could do this, maybe do it once a year, and then it becomes once a month, and then maybe, you know, it could be once a week, and then maybe you can have this sort of every day. And um, one of the challenging things, I think, actually, is the words car-free because actually that i don't think that's a good explanation of what people are trying to achieve we're just sort of trying to get people to use their cars less aren't we and we're sort of accepting that cars will form some form of transport which is using them for the wrong job so i think it plays a little bit into car free day is sort of oh we don't want cars ever well we might not want cars ever actually but but the reality <laughs> the reality of the situation is we're going to have cars yeah. but we probably don't need them for short journeys and we probably don't need as many as there are in borough right now so it's a good way to get people I think to think about the use of public space, how much space we give over to cars which is quite interesting, quite interesting why you know being here in a massive petrol station that now has been taken over, it's got a parklet at the end, it's got people having coffee and yeah it's, uh, it's a good way for normal fate to go actually we give quite a lot of space to cars don't we maybe we could take some of it back and do nice things with it so that's why i like world car free day anyway no no history involved but that's why i like it
2: well to make that point there's a parking bay there isn't there just by one of the sort of defunct petrol pumps in this disused petrol station marked out on the tarmac to the rough proportions of a of a standard car and um they've managed to fold down and stack 42 Bromptons in the space of one car, which is a pretty good way of making a, a very cogent point, I think. Yeah. Talking about car-free days, wasn't there, in the aftermath of the Queen's death, a London borough who, as a mark of respect, cancelled their car-free day? There were some quite mystifying cancellations of various different events, and also some events, I was working on one that simply had to be cancelled yeah. for logistical reasons, but that struck me as, a, as an odd way to mark the passing of a monarch to cancel all free Day. I think it's Hammersmith and Fulham, yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
4: it, it was Hammersmith and Fulham, and I saw that. Obviously, we know why things were cancelled. A lot of things were cancelled. And then, of course, uh, you know, I don't want to twist the knife too much because everyone's done that already, but British Cycling issued guidance, didn't they, as well, to tell people they shouldn't ride their bike on the yeah. day of the Queen's <laughs> funeral.
2: I mean, they had a brain fart, didn't they? They really did, and very quickly retracted it. I think it was an odd one. It was an yeah. odd one.
4: But we've got that kind of blind spot, have we, were driving cars is normal... And, you know, riding a bike is a is a luxury or some sort of specific thing that, as a mark of respect, you shouldn't do. It's like it doesn't take into consideration key workers who might have to go to work that day. You know, don't ride your bike because of the Queen. It doesn't really make much sense. I quite like the Royal Family, and I've been, you know, looking up and looking at what Prince Charles now, King Charles, has been saying over the past many decades. And one of the things he said is that cities need to get control of the motor vehicle and give space back to pedestrians that's something that our king has been saying and we know that he's got quite strong views on the environment and climate and all things which i think's interesting so i think he'd want us to be riding our bike on the day of the queen's funeral probably
3: yeah i agree what have you been up to laura um, cycling. I've been doing a lot of cycling. <laughs> How's, it going? How's it going?
2: You're yeah. still on your odyssey around the UK, yeah, I'm still aren't on you? my
3: odyssey. It's been ridiculous, actually. I've been doing a lot of travel, a lot of travel. So, uh, last week, I was helping build a cycle route. I was doing a dry stone wall and doing some digging. And, uh, yeah, it was quite fun, actually. I went camping. And the guy who founded Sostran still kind of does these work camps where he builds his own cycle routes in various places around the country and he's uh yeah he's still a force of nature so that was quite a fun experience actually to get my hands dirty and get on some uh gloves and start building a stone wall so
2: well, yes. for those outside of the, the active travel sustrans bubble as succinctly as possible, can you just outline the history of Sustrans and it, when it came about and um you know it's quite a well known story within this uh, this world but it is actually genuinely interesting, mm. isn't it? How it started.
3: Yeah, it is quite interesting. Yeah, it started with the Bristol to Bath Railway Path and this chap doing the same thing as we were doing last week, basically got some people together, managed to put
2: a name, Lord
3: John Grimshaw. Yes, yes, good point. He just kind of decided that this was going to be a good idea, make former rail path into a cycle path. So that's what he did. Got people digging, got all sorts of people from kind of youth employment schemes from the government and um, yeah and it kind of grew from there turned into a charity which is now Sustrans which now runs the National Cycle Network and he's no longer part of it but he's got his own charity which kind of does a similar thing that he's always done and he seems to be very good at it negotiating with people and um, just making things happen so yeah we're here in this forecourt and we've actually got some quite interesting people around us haven't we should we go and what, more interesting than us
2: yeah should we go and should we go and uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're good walkie stalkie style gone.
4: I think we should go and over there we've got the climate charity possible who today launched a parklet plotter. So this is something quite close to Laura and I are my heart because we've got parklets in our local communities that we've kind of been doing. And uh, they've actually got a map that is showing where the best place to put a parklet would be based on the lack of green space, based on deprivation, based on car ownership. And they've launched that today and they're actually getting members of the public to come and tell them where they think a parklet should be. So actually going to local councillors Emailing local councils and saying we want a parklet and we want it now, which is actually in their in their gifts. So we we should speak to Hera
2: first. Well, <laughs> I hope you've left them something to say because you've basically summed up the project. Hello, I'm Ned. Nice to meet you.
5: Hi, Ned. Nice Hello. to meet you.
2: Hello. And you, you're uh, sorry. What's your name again?
5: My name's Hera Khan Adiyogan. I'm head of Carfree Cities at the Climate Action Charity Possible.
2: Fabulous. Hello, I'm Ned. Nice to meet you.
6: Hello, Ned. I'm Carolyn. I'm Carfree London campaigner. Yours is a voice I'm very familiar with because I'm a big fan of the podcast.
2: Oh, are you? Whoa, well, good, good. That's nice. I've never met a fan of the podcast before. Oh, that's
3: have- lovely. And we have Jules Walker, of Jules Walker fame.
2: Of Jules Walker fame. <laughs> just a name and a brand in her own right. She's just working as a photographer at the moment, taking a picture of us. Anyway, um, we're deviating from the point of you being here. Do you want to sum it up? I mean, Adam's given us a little potted history of what you're all about, but do you want to put it in your words?
5: So we at Possible are aiming for a zero carbon Britain built by and for everyone. And we know that transport emissions are our highest contributor to our carbon emissions and private cars are the biggest contributor within that. So we want to campaign to take space away from cars and give it back to people and nature and live in cities where, you know, that are cleaner, greener and safer. And parklets are one small way that we can do that. And it gives an opportunity for residents to take back space and pull communities together you know there's lots of different ways people can do it but why is space allocated so unfairly why do you need to own a car to have access to public space so these are the questions that we're raising and we would like to see a permanent parklet permit process across PPP. all councils, a ppp <laughs> across all councils in the uk <laughs> because that's the future that's the way to do it what's
2: the definition of a parklet
5: Oh, a parklet, the way we define it is taking a parking space and transforming it into a space for community. So it can look like anything. You can grow vegetables, you can have cycle storage there, you can have seating, you can have benches, you can have a little library, whatever you want really. But it's space for communities that used to be a parking space.
2: So as things stand, if I want to create, I live in the borough of Lewisham, right? I wouldn't suggest for a second you have to be an expert in the politics of Lewisham borough because there's lots of <laughs> London boroughs. But if I wanted, to create a parklet on my very normal street in London what would I do? Would I go to the would I I mean is this the point of your campaign?
5: I mean this is the point of the campaign most councils don't currently have a process there are I think two only at the moment in London there's Hackney and I think uh, what was the other one? Hounslow just announced okay. theirs yep that's the other one but otherwise well, in Forest are also announced theirs today for car free day they're coming out of the woodworks now (laughs) but basically that most councils don't have a process Mm. you would have to talk to your neighbours get a real movement going put proposals to councillors have lots and lots of meetings discuss health and safety all of that jazz and it might take a long time and that's kind of what Carolyn's been doing in in Waltham Forest with uh... yeah I mean a good good place to start if you wanted to do that
6: Ned would to get in touch with the Parklet campaign because there's a wealth of experience there there's lots of grassroots campaigners many of whom have created their own parklets, particularly in Hackney, but also in other areas. Mm. And you could also use our Right to Your Councillor parklets tool. So if anybody wants to go to the possible website and look at our page on parklets, there's a ready-made tool. You can, you know, send an email to your councillor oh, asking for a parklet permit process. And often, you know, councillors will be looking at what other boroughs are doing, so, for example, we had a pop-up parklet yesterday outside a school in Ealing. We had a lot of councillors um, and council officers come down from Hounslow, and we're trying to sort of say to Ealing, look what they're doing in the borough next door. Can you try and catch up? Because they're really sort of like setting the example.
2: Laura Bowman's in here, because I know this is an area of your great interest and expertise as well but but the the processes for putting in cycle hangers if you've got enough residents on the street that want that that's been fairly well established hasn't it in most councils I think for a number of years so isn't it simply a question of cut and paste that process and sort of apply it for a slightly different use Laura wouldn't it I mean isn't you know it's not not beyond the wit of man, this is it.
3: Mm. Yeah, it seems like a good idea. And I mean, I know in a lot of boroughs, including mine, the waiting list for those cycle hangers is very, very long. There's are just not enough of them going round, or I'm not. not yeah, a physical thing. I don't know. It's just it just ta- seems to take councils a long time to get them in, and yeah, it's just a very slow process. For my parklet, I got mine through Community Assembly Fund, and it was a sort of building that had been semi knocked down and there was a space that people were using as parking and it wasn't actually a parking bay but I kind of managed to get around the process just by asking people and, and just uh, nobody said no and so I kind of made it happen but it <laughs> There doesn't seem to be a process in a lot of boroughs and so it is quite difficult. But it's a good idea actually, you just cut, cut, cut and paste that, if they could speed that up because there is a huge waiting list for those um, cycle hangers. So,
6: mm, yeah. just,
3: to, just to offer a bit of
6: an insight into the situation with cycle hangers, sometimes there are also production issues that um, cycle hoop or whoever the contractor is can't actually produce them quickly enough and it's also the funding issue so it costs between seven and eight thousand pounds to put one of those cycle hangers in and of course they have to do the consultation they have to do the traffic management orders there's quite a lot of work that has to go into that some areas they have been vandalized because people are not happy to see them go in so there's a huge amount of kind of resources and sometimes local authorities are lacking in terms of the human resources at officer level if a, a councillor comes out you know a council leader comes out as they have in Hackney and said we're going to quit clear the waiting list of six or 7000 people that's great but then they've got to make sure the resources are there to put that in and that's exactly what we want to see is a similar process for the parklets because at the moment it's happening where there are people like laura that are doing all that kind of grassroots community work but it's a lot of engagement it's a lot of like volunteer hours that you're having to put in if there was a process then people could turn it around in a sort of more accessible way
3: yeah yeah you kind of compare it to the process of getting yourself a parking space on the street and it's you know it couldn't be easier especially in in a city boroughs where most people don't own cars it's really yeah it's really quite unequal
2: so i know adam wants to jump in but i was just struck because now you mentioned that you've got an infographic just behind me that says quite clearly it's quite it's quite striking when you read it isn't it yeah. the weekly cost to park a private car on public space £3.28 the weekly cost to suspend a parking bay for a parklet £325 so where do those figures come from where does the £325 a week figure come from that's an aggregate
6: so that's across all the boroughs in London so that's sort of taken the aggregate figures for all of those 33 boroughs good
5: grief how can they justify that Well, that's kind of the point that we're making. Why does it cost so much money? (laughs) If you want to suspend a parking bay for a week, that's how much it's going to cost you. But if you want to just stick your car in, and that's where Adam did that brilliant thing of just, you know, putting a parklet on top of a car and there you go. That's so so clever. (laughs) Have you seen the cartoon on Twitter that shows exactly that?
6: Somebody put a cartoon on Twitter where there's a penguin being told you can't (laughs) use this space, so he comes back and lies on top of a car. what Adam did. So, for example, the pop-up parklet that we did in Ealing yesterday—that cost us ninety pounds for three spaces, thirty pound per space. But we were providing a huge for a day. Yeah. And that was a huge amount of community benefit we had a woman playing guitar singing nursery rhymes for the little kids we were giving out pizza we had kids playing with toys we had basically the whole community taking over the space throughout the whole day particularly before and after school and asking are you going to be here every day is this you know is this permanent and when you think the amount of community benefit that's bringing compared to it being used for a parking space that's what we're trying to raise awareness of is that it's essentially storing somebody's private property on the street and it's being
2: really heavily subsidised. It's a paradigm shift in thinking that you've got to bring about, isn't it? Because I think there's just a lack of thought going on to yeah, a great absolutely. extent. You know, I think just listening to your testimony here and looking at that startling figure it seems to me that people at council level are associating the closure of a parking space with a kind of the closure of a road, as if it's a sort of almost a civil sort of, um, action that needs to be you know, implemented with all sorts of ramifications that simply aren't there. So I think it's just confused thinking, and if there's a bit more clarity that comes about with your campaign, then I think that figure will drop. It must do, surely. Oh, I You've been itching to get in for ages, and we've only got one microphone, so it's down to me who I call to speak at any point. So I'm yeah. firmly in control.
4: You're like a this morning presenter who's got to like. So sh- there's sh- a competition in six minutes
2: now. You've got to keep talking until there. I should um, explain that we've only because we just decided to do this podcast like ten minutes ago. I've only got one microphone, so we're going That's why it yeah. sounds like it does at the moment.
4: I was just going to ask here because she's been here today, talking to um, members of the public who've been walking past, and actually you can't visualise this but I'm going to try and explain it to you but there's just
2: a picture there's this big big better word than big come on
4: Ginormous. Ranch. Running out superlatives here. Um, there's a, a large forecourt, basically. <laughs> and what it does is it creates severance between these two main roads that you've got. So what people do is they walk through the forecourt to get to the other side of the road. Whereas the planners, what they wanted to do was to get them to walk all the way around, which would have taken ages. Anyway, so you get quite a lot of people walking through here, just normal folk, not... That interested in car-free day or whatever, but but here he's been talking to them. So I just wonder, for me, parklets are a really good way to start to have a conversation with people about the use of public space in a way they've never really thought about it before. And I just wondered if you had any kind of anecdotes of not eco-warriors but normal folk who are just like, oh yeah, that's quite a good idea, and what they what they think to it.
5: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right that's generally the reaction that we get to parklets because it's not about closing a road down it's not about you know ltns that you see this is about creating space for communities and people can actually see and feel the value it's also quite a small intervention so people don't really see it as threatening they see it as very welcoming and you know we were talking about the parklet yesterday we've described it to people there's nothing more wonderful or joyous than seeing little children singing nursery rhymes with a guitar and having fun in a space that you to be preoccupied by a car just normal everyday folk who probably you know the climate isn't right at the very top of their agenda sustainable transport is probably not right at the top of their agenda but they can see that something like why does it cost £3.28 to park your car there and why would it cost 300 plus to put a bench in there for example it's common sense
4: it absolutely is I think I've just spotted out the corner of my eye Julian Scriven he's wearing a i fetch- I'm trying to be descriptive now I'm under pressure he's wearing a fetching red jacket and he is the chap who's responsible for Brompton bike hire who also are talking about repurposing space because they actually fit in these little um, hubs that you can put four bikes in basically and anyone can hire them I'd like to speak to him
2: about that well, should we walk over there
4: Let's do that with your one microphone
2: Good luck guys, guys. Thank very, you. very nice to meet you Keep up the good work I'm going to um, lobby Lewisham and Council see if we can get a parklet on my street that would be a that'd be a thing to do there's
3: massive trees here. there's some massive trees here and I'm wondering how they got here They're really quite the back large. of a lorry. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe maybe a cargo bike. Who knows? That
4: would have been a funny thing. So, Junior, I said that you were wearing a very fetching... It's actually even a Brompton jacket, which is totally... uh, totally brand. brand, Very fetching in red. We were talking about repurposing public space. Obviously, that's what we're doing today at the petrol station, getting people to think about it. But you do this every day with your bike docks, really, because a lot of people are thinking, well... I don't want to give up much space the councils are trying to give opportunities to get people access to bikes and you can do that by popping these things up which are quite inconspicuous but give a whole new meaning to the landscape and the other thing i just wanted to mention before i shut up uh, is the stuff you've been doing with housing developers as well because they're also starting to think well actually what's our developments for and they can actually put these in the basement and not have to give so much space over to bike parking and things like that they can just give a little hub and everyone can use it
1: I think actually what's even better is we're encouraging them not to put them in the basements, but to put them in the reception and outside the front of the building. And the reason why that's so important is the whole point behind our hire system is to bring people into cycling and to be a really cheap and accessible way for people to try it. So the last place someone is going to go to is down into the basement where all mm. smells a bit of lycra and it's quite, it's quite <laughs> masculine. <laughs> sometimes you're in as well. Yeah, sometimes... Whereas, you know, if you put the higher location in where people are non-cyclists are, you know, if you want to go and catch a fish, you go to a pond, not to a desert. So if you want to catch non cyclists you go to the reception, not the cycle hub. And actually, we see that works really effectively. What's really interesting is property developers, when I first started working on this a few years ago, they were seeing it as a bit of a wheeze. Maybe I can get away with a bit less space devoted to cycling if I put in one of these small Brompton docks they're now converting the other way around and saying actually if I put in one of these Brompton docks it's going to encourage more people to cycle which means more of that cycle parking which I had to pay a fortune on will get used and then that makes them feel good and it also means then they have this buzzword police
4: making which is yeah. a fancy way of saying put nice stuff in and people will live there On that nice stuff and even that useful stuff we've just been chatting to Possible who are obviously talking about parklets and things like that you're sort of involved in kind of I'm going to describe them loosely, this is unfair, but like corporate parklets in a sense, because you've got what are called mobility hubs, right? So you're working with, I think, Enterprise, car rental. So actually taking, maybe even taking car parking spaces and saying they're not just for cars anymore, but we can have all these different mobility options for you. Absolutely. And I
1: think the big thing that's changed over the last few years is all the non-private car companies used to argue over Compete, in a way. And then we kind of sat down and realised that Over 80% of journeys have been taken in private cars, and actually what we should do is switch that round so it's 80% not in cars. Once we've done that, we can then argue whether it should be a bus or a bicycle or a car club car. But until then, let's work together. And mobility hubs are brilliant. Uh, They're really effective. You get this multiplier effect. So we're setting one up in Stratford with Newham Council and a fantastic property developer called Hadley Property Group. And the whole point behind it is it's going to have bicycles, it's going to have car club, it's got a bus stop there. It's right by Stratford International Station. And it's even going to have an app for the local people to use, which will have mobility credits like you had in Coventry, mm. Adam. So there'll be mobility credits that people can use for free bike hire and for free car club hire, just to encourage people to try it. Because actually the most important thing for me is to get people to start thinking about their mode of transport. And this sounds really simple, but for me it's so key. If we can get people just to use the most appropriate mode of transport for the journey they're taking, that's the biggest win. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But actually, it's that little thought process, not just climbing straight into the car, but just stopping for a moment and going, would I be quicker on a bike? Would it be easier in, in the London Underground? If we can get that thought going, and I think things like mobility hubs, things like software solutions with mobility credits, help us get people to nudge in that direction.
2: I've got a couple of Bromptons, which have been kindly provided by Brompton down the years. David because Miller I, gave you one, didn't he? He gave you a shiny one. A yeah, because to we, te- we, we ride um, all the over Tour, the Alps, France, don't we? Yeah. Well, on the Tour de France yeah. on, on them and, and all that. And um so, so that's that's very good. And I... but. Thinking about, you know, the most appropriate tool for the journey in question, that's exactly how I use my Brompton. So most of the time, I actually don't ride it because I reserve it for those moments where it's so useful, where I know that that's a Brompton journey. Mm. That's exactly right. Often in London, that'll be a day where I think I might get really wet. So I I know I can just fold it up and jump on the bus or the tube if I really don't want to get wet on that particular day. So it is, I mean, I do that with every journey now, but I didn't used to. You know, 10 years ago, I really didn't used to. I mean, I, I love
1: the multi-modality of a Rompton and that's a very fancy way of saying because it folds up you can take it on other modes of transport. I mean today I came from the factory and I took the train or the underground to Oxford Circus and then jumped on the Brompton and got hit. That was the
2: best way of getting hit. And you can take it on any train all day round and that's a huge advantage because Laura you and I know perfectly well, all of us know that getting a bike on a train in the UK can be an absolute nightmare that involves very often sitting, talking to someone in a call centre in India for half an hour before you can even get it but Brompton just goes straight on doesn't it? Well what's really interesting is trains companies
1: are now figuring out that they need to encourage people back onto the trains, and so they're looking at how do we get more people on trains, and they realise, actually, they need to make it friendlier, which means more bikes. So, ironically, British company, we've been approached by Deutsche Bahn in Germany, to provide Bromptons as part of season tickets. So if you buy a season ticket in Stuttgart, at the moment, you can add on a Brompton, and for 29 euros a month, you can have a Brompton as part of your season ticket, and it will literally be delivered to your door, So, literally, your season ticket will turn up, and so will your Brompton. You can climb on your Brompton, cycle to the train station, and you're off and going. Now, I'd love to get that going in the UK as well. Uh, Train companies are not quite as progressive over here yet, but Deutsche Bahn have figured it out. They need to get more bikes on trains. Folding bikes fit better than non-folding bikes, so your season ticket can have a Brompton.
2: Oh, that's very cool very interesting that's well, very
4: cool thank you Julian that's um, uh, a wealth of knowledge as always we're going to have a little wander around but we're having a nice day here the sun's out isn't it sun's out yeah had a, had a coffee haven't you yeah, yeah I haven't had, had a coffee well, you well, could straight to yeah, yeah. yeah. cargo bike coffee yeah yes. you should
2: probably we, should, we should have go get a coffee uh, okay,
4: yeah let's go and have a coffee and I can see Jules is great isn't yeah. she yeah.
2: Well, we're going to go and professor. order ourselves a coffee why don't you go floor manage Jules over here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> get some audio of yeah. the tap 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 I will, well, I'll get some audio of the tap 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 <laughs> you're, you're directing this now as well aren't you Adam Can, we, can we have a couple of coffees please, would that be alright yeah. Laura, what sort of coffee do you want
3: What was that, that looked nice Like what an Americano, long, black. long yeah. black Yeah let's have one of those please, with some oat
2: milk Can I have a flat white please, would that be alright Thank you very much you That looks lovely my right. coffee doesn't it And on we go then So we've got Jules Walker who is
4: uh, you know collectively someone we all know one of our favourite people in cycling, always smiling, always looking incredibly well dressed and trendy (laughs) and putting me to shame because I just throw on clothes. Although Laura looks very good today, like this guy Laura. This is sort of becoming a bit weird now, isn't it? Uh, Ned is wearing a grey t-shirt with (laughs) one trouser leg (laughs) rolled up. (laughs) up. Hello! Cycle style. (laughs) (laughs) But Jules, we're here today, we're all having a nice time, sun's (laughs) shining. I'm particularly interested in all the different like well I wouldn't call it sort of there's different groups like people are coming in from work having a coffee because it's sort of free coffee yeah. if they're walking or cycling we've got people who are clearly like Brompton super fans they've like upgraded their Brompton they've got very specific upgrades to them <laughs> um, and we've got people who are kind of like coming in as uh, someone on a Santander cycle <sighs> and, and uh, anyway what I'm saying is that the crowd of what you call cyclists Mm -hmm. is diversifying quite a bit and that's something you've been championing for a long long time isn't it?
7: Yes it's been 12 years that I've been in the cycling industry and working as a cycling activist or cycling community builder as I prefer to say and what is interesting and just what Adam was saying as well is that cyclist in air quotes you have a stereotypical image of what a cyclist or a person on a bike looks like But the fun thing is, is that it's such a a wide and varied and multifaceted community. There are so many different types of people who are out there who enjoy riding bikes, want to get into cycling culture, finding their way into it. And you don't have to look, act or be a certain way to to do it. I'm a firm believer that cycling should be for everybody. And that's what we're seeing here today at the moment. Like like Adam was saying, the people that are around us, you've got people coming in on Santair bikes and got folks just coming in like post work lunchtime and it's just it's a lovely varied mix of people and that's what we need to see more of in the world of cycling
2: well not even i mean it's not just the people who are coming to this uh this pop-up sort of just i don't know display area whatever you call it this (laughs) this event it's actually just some people riding by and just casting so look you know the cycling community in london has got a lot bigger Mm -hmm. really quite fast i think over the last two or three years i don't know whether the evidence backs that up but but Alongside the numbers, I think it's changed hugely in terms of who's cycling. I mean, have we got any way of measuring that, Jules?
7: I know there is some statistics out there. I'm not not a statistics person, so I'm not going to pretend and start spouting them to you. But what I can see from... I don't know I guess being in the industry and then working with people in grassroots at cycling you're seeing some of the different community building groups that are out there so for me it's like the Black Unity bike ride that happened a few weeks ago is an amazing example of that that was like I think it was like 1200 black and brown bodies on bikes like riding through london you're seeing these kind of things happening you're seeing this shift and this change so for me when i first started out on the scene 12 years ago i had that feeling that i didn't really see very many people that looked like me or came from my background who were into riding bikes 12 years later i'm now really pleased to say that it really has diversified and changed and the fact that there are brands and organisations that are moving in the right direction towards inclusivity and diversity. They understand the importance of that. If you want to encourage more people to come in, you need to bring more voices to the table, you need to be engaging with communities that you would otherwise have just ignored because they didn't fit your demographic. We're out here and we're enjoying being on bikes and yeah, this is a prime spot for for people watching, the different kind of folks that are going past on the rental bikes that you see, the different kind of commuters, (laughs) all shapes and sizes on bikes. So, it's been wonderful to, to see that shift.
3: Yeah, it's, it's really lovely to see, um, and the uh, community is really, really important. I've learned in my kind of uh, years of writing and talking about cycling and, and um, yeah having people to support you into cycling and um, yeah and that's really grown and you've been such a pivotal part of that in London and I always admire your positivity and your drive and your just enthusiasm and love for, for the sort of this whole community building stuff and yeah it's just wonderful to see things sort of growing but I guess there's still there's still a ways to go. there's still I saw a um, was it ideas with beers last week. And um, Dolce Pedrosa has done some research about... It's called And Still I Cycle. And she's talked to a lot of people about how women, particularly women of colour as well, and she was saying that people kind of contacted her when she put a shout out saying oh can I join your bike ride, can I like come and speak to you but I, I want to but I'm not like a proper cyclist or like I don't have the right kit and it was really interesting and there was this assumption that you had to be like a certain way and and she found this really interesting and, and kind of did a little bar chart of the people that contacted her and the questions they'd asked and mm. and it was all about this perception of being a proper cyclist, it's quite interesting
7: Yeah, As one of the things that I talked about in in my book was the, the whole definition of what a proper cyclist is and it's like to me there's no such thing it's just if you want to get on your bike and enjoy it that's at its core and I know in the days when I started to get into road cycling, for example, because I didn't have the proper shoes or I didn't have the proper, like, lycra, it was just like... That's disgraceful. <laughs> it was like... One of, one of the things that stands out in my head is when I did my first uh, big road bike ride, which was from Portsmouth to, to Bognor Regis, and I was really proud of myself for it. I did it in lycra kit, but I had on a pair of Converse trainers, and I got slated on social media because I didn't have... Quite the proper right, too. Quite right, too. Imagine doing that without the proper shoes. shoes. <laughs> but I was just like, do you know what this is that in itself is like a barrier for, for folks it uh, completely
2: is, yeah. completely is yeah.
7: so it's just that kind of that change in attitudes towards what a, a proper cyclist is is just like we need to to move away from that and it's more about encouraging the joy and the freedom that comes with just being able to get on a bike and obviously having those kind of groups and communities that are taking up space and building these spaces for for that to happen it's important to encourage the growth of that too
2: well just as you guys have been talking, I've been watching the people going up and down the street. There's a guy on Rollerblades who is not only incredibly cool, but he's also really good at it. <laughs> like, so he's just dancing around the place, literally, like in the middle of the street, which is probably not that advisable, no. but it's great to watch. He's really good. There's a guy just going past, a young guy with a rucksack on his back on a road bike. Mm-hmm. I've seen someone go past on a scooter. There's a Santander bike rider coming towards me right now with a like pair of shades on. That one little earpiece in maybe having to little listen to a podcast <laughs> with a shirt open no helmet on rollerblades guys still doing his bits um, there was another young lad who just came past on an electric lime hire bike which was suddenly sort of everywhere in London and seemed to be well used And there's a slightly more conventional guy. He's obviously going somewhere. He's got a big rucksack. He's wearing a helmet and he's got a road bike. He's got another bag as well. And um, yeah, it's just, it is. You're absolutely right. I think it's more, you think about the kind of like the icons of riding in Copenhagen or in Amsterdam and Mm. what we aspire to. Those cycling cities are I mean, immensely further down the road than we are, obviously, in terms of the numbers, but they're much more homogenous. Mm. It's like you can see a Dutch bike rider and it, they'll be riding a Dutch bike. Yeah. But they'll be identified with Dutch and you'll know exactly where you are. In <laughs> London, it's just absolute. In every All sorts of different folk now on all sorts of different it's really quite a unique London story that I yeah. think it's 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 kind of scattered into a million constituent parts
7: and isn't it just a really joyous thing to see as well like you're, you're people spotting all different types of folks different types of bikes different types of scenes and, and that's just it it's like you don't have to, to belong to one particular cycling scene that's what I've enjoyed in my time of being in cycling that I've dabbled in road cycling I've dabbled with going around like a velodrome track I want to dabble in mountain biking it's just all of these different things that, that are there and it's just this wonderful mishmash of people on bikes that's what i want to say it's just people on bikes in this city seeing more of it would be amazing
4: i couldn't agree more yeah. and that is a that's a wonderful before we I'm going to say a wonderful way to end the podcast but before we end the podcast I wanted to do my bit of the deal and plug your podcast <laughs> as well so, and your book, and and you your book, book what's, what's the title of your book Back in the Frame is the name of my book Back in the Frame yes. that reminds me obviously you, you wrote your book but there's a certain sports person I um, I ended up staying in in uh, in a shared flat that he used, and he had a copy half read of his own book oh. on the bedside table. <laughs> who uh, was that? Oh, Mark Cavendish.
2: <laughs> wow. Wow. Mark could have bought this. Mark, Mark, Cav- <laughs> Mark Cavendish once asked me who I'd got to ghostwrite my book. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, <wow. laughs> I wrote it myself It's a good book Jules' book is really good in your experience growing up and What is yeah.
7: interesting and sort of suitable for where we are at the moment when I had to do the paperback version of it the new introduction chapter was all about why my life changed when I got my Brompton so yeah that was a game changer of a bike for me
4: brilliant well thank you very much the podcast is called Adventures in Coffee and I will expect a a plug for Streets Ahead on Adventures in Coffee next time
7: of course I'm recording this afternoon actually so yeah we will make sure that gets in there well
2: that's enough mutual (laughs) back scratching all the usual thing please um, you know, what do we we say here at this point Adam well I would say subscribe (laughs) to the podcast like it, share it, it, all that stuff
4: but please do leave a review and please do comment because it genuinely makes an impact people just listen over this bit and they go to the next one but please stop now open up the podcast app post a review a good one don't don't write a bad one we're quite
2: needy people so emotionally fragile and we need bolstering yes I am anyway
4: do that on a podcast app five stars bang and that will really help more people find out about urbanism and active travel and parklets and great things
2: bye see ya
3: bye